The Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association presents Top of the Stretch, a podcast that looks at harness racing in the Buckeye State. Top of the Stretch is presented by Tizwiz. Be the best, outperform the rest. When only the best is good enough, horse owners look to Tizwiz Nutrition. Your horse is an individual with its own needs suitable for its lifestyle, whether it's racing or relaxing. For over 60 years, Tizwiz has strived for nutritional excellence, delivering products that make a difference. There is a nutritional reason for everything that is put into Tizwiz feed. Take your racing stable to another level with Tizwiz. See the complete line of Tizwiz feeds at tizwizfeeds.com. Tizwiz, feed the best, outperform the rest. On today's edition of Top of the Stretch, brought to you by Tizwiz, our guest is Don Tiger. He's 49 years of age, lives in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, has been involved in harness racing for something like 35 years. He is an owner, and he had an experience a few days ago at Scioto Downs, in my opinion, may have been the only experience for an owner in all of harness racing. But we'll get back to that a little later on. Don Tiger, welcome to the top of the stretch. Roger, pleasure to be with you. As somebody who grew up in uh, western Pennsylvania as a youngster in uh, the 70s and 80s, uh, when you hear the word uh, Willie Stargell, you thought about baseball. When you hear the word Terry Bradshaw or Franco Harris, you thought about football. When you hear the name Roger Houston, you always think of harness racing. So it's a pleasure to sit and chat with you a little bit today. Well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate that. Don, um, early on in your life, did you have plans to be involved in harness racing, or did that just develop later on? Was it early on, or did you have to develop that love for racing? Well, I lived about 10 minutes from the Meadows. I, I grew up in Cannesburg, where I currently reside, and uh, Back in the 70s and, and early 80s, I mean, it was a boisterous industry. Meadows was very crowded. I remember they used to shut the highway down, 19 and stuff. If you had to travel, we had high attendance, and it was great. And I had a friend take me to the races when uh, I was underage. Uh, luckily, I was tall and could get in, but uh, I got hooked at a very young age, and we had a local horse, Barberry Spur. I started in 1985, and he won the Adios that year, and I pretty much have been at it ever since. How many horses would you say that you've owned over those years in harness racing? I'd say I had about 50. I had the, the first horse that I bought, uh, I bought out of uh, the Meadowlands, a um, horse called Robus. And uh, when, you know, obviously I worked at the barns in the uh, um, late 80s for Pat Thomas. That's kind of how I got my got started and got the bug and, and started um, there. And then when I could own them, Robus was the first horse I bought, and um, I'd say I had about 50 during that period of time, but uh, it's been a great ride and a lot of fun for sure. The one horse that jumps off the page, for me at least, in your career is a pacer by the name of Sam Hill. What did he mean to Don Tiger? Uh, he meant everything. Um, I bought Sam Hill uh, out of the Meadowlands again. I, I, that was my strategy. I was always purchasing horses out of New Jersey, New York, and bringing them back home to the Meadows because the competition was a, a little bit tougher over there. And he, uh, The horse showed a high rate of speed. 
and uh, I bought them off uh, Julie and um, Andy Miller for 20000 and uh, we ended up making about 600 k with them at the Meadows. Uh, as you know, you used to always call him the Rodney Dangerfield of uh, harness racing because he seemed to always go off at a price, and he always kind of outran his odds, and uh, he ran in some tough competition, and he's a great story. He's actually the Seabiscuit story of, of harness racing because he's had multiple injuries, and John Sullivan did a good job with him. Uh, we just retired him, actually, 14 years old, and uh, he just uh, – I haven't even turned his papers in officially the USTA, but uh, he gave me everything in the sport. And, uh, you know, he, he's always going to get out as my favorite. You know, it's going to be hard to top him because we win 50 races with him. We took him on the road to Scioto, Meadowlands, Batavia, um, Lexington. We raced him a lot of places and a lot of drivers, and he just gave it his all all the time and um, just a blessing for a horse for sure. Why do you think that the betting public, even when he had won five, six races or something, he would still go off at high odds? Why? Well, I think some of that goes around with uh, in the summertime and different times when there's stake seasons, you run out of drivers. And uh, one year, it was probably, he's probably six or seven-year-old when he got real good, uh, we couldn't find a driver for him. And we got a local guy, Greg Wright Jr., and uh, Greg's one of those guys that doesn't drive a ton. He's not like uh, a Tim Tetrick, a Chris Page, a, a well-known rider, good rider, um, family guy's been in the business forever. But he drove him, ironically, the, the most wins. I think he won 19 or 20 races with him. And I think sometimes the lesser-known drivers don't get as much uh, credit. But Greg did a good job with him, win a lot of races. And uh, obviously we had to run against Ronnie Burke a lot. Ronnie had a lot of good horses that uh, that Sam had to compete against, a lot of top-tier free-for-allers. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, I know you picked him on your show a lot to win, and, and uh, thankfully a lot of them times you did pick him, he did win. Yeah. It was unreal because we did nickname him the Rodney Dangerfield of harness racing. He, he just seemed like he never got respect from the wagering public. I think the other thing that's interesting about Sam Hill is the only other horse from 1985 until now, and I've been obviously a, a fan. I'm, I'm an owner, but I'm a fan. I love the sport. I, uh, I attend live racing as much as possible. And uh, Sharp Cosmos and Sam Hill are the only two horses I can remember at the Meadows that consistently, year over year, still competed at the top level. And uh, there's been great horses to come through the Meadows, but... I mean, he did it from pretty much age 7 to 12, um, 6 to 12. I mean, he had a good run there where he was racing in the preferred invite all six or seven of those years. And, and uh, Sharp Cosmos is the only other horse that, that I know that kind of fits that same uh, mindset for sure. At one time, uh, Sharp Cosmos had the most two-minute miles of any horse in harness racing. I think it was 76. Of course, that record has been surpassed, but he was one of the greats over the years at the Meadows, as well as uh, Sam Hill, no question about that. Uh, your association with Tim Twaddle, uh, winner of the Jugette. He worked for a great trainer up in Canada by the name of John Burns, drove most of his horses. How did that association develop? As good a harness trainer uh, Tim Twaddle is, he's a better man. Um, great guy. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know him. 
you know, I was a fan of his. Again, when I was a kid, he he went a big race down the Meadows. I don't remember what it was, but that was when they used to move around the Messenger and the different big races and the Breeders' Crown. And uh, I was kind of emulating him. And then he brought his his uh, stable over here and uh, started training some horses. And just through affiliation, I sat down and talked to him. He was a, he was a great guy, and I started doing some business with him. And I still do. Uh, fantastic guy, but. Uh, we had a couple decent ones, but we had one very good one that got me to where I'm at today. And we're going to go in. I want you to go into that story. It's a kind of a lengthy story. So uh, tell the folks how you come to have the two-year-old pacer Charlie May. And it started a, a number of years before Charlie uh, May got to the racetrack. Yeah, many more years. So when I got hooked up with Tim Twaddle, uh, me, him, and Seth Rosenfeld kind of went at this together. Uh, and uh, Seth, very respected horseman, uh, owned some very great ones, like a part of Beach Towel. And, and uh, myself and Seth set a strategy out to buy a bunch of yearlings. And we were doing that. Uh, we had a horse called Toddler Tantrum, who was a very good two-year-old. He ended up winning two or three Buckeye or um, the uh, Stallions, PA Stallion Series races. We took him to Vernon and won uh, the Simpson. Uh, he was a nice horse, but we were buying babies, and that was kind of our strategy to get a couple young ones and hopefully, you know, get one to the big stage, like a little brown jug or something like that. And uh, so I bought three yearlings that year. I believe I paid 21000 15000 And then Tim went out and bought uh, another yearling, an unnamed yearling, out of the Delaware sale for $1,700. And he called me and says, hey, come on up the barn. you got to see your horse and everything. I says, okay. So I went up the barn. I looked at this horse. Ugliest yearling I ever saw in my life. Um, big back end, kind of a thin frail up front, a neck. And you could just, she didn't look right. You know, just not real attractive. And we both looked at each other, and he kind of laughed. And he said, she might not look like much, but believe me, there's some real good breeding and blood there. I says, okay. So obviously with all babies, you train them down and you keep getting better. And he called me one day and he said, of the three that yearlings or, or two-year-olds that you have, he said, the best two-year-old of the bunch is the $1,700 purchase. And we named her Nikki Bella. I do uh, financial planning and mortgage banking, and I have uh, some of the professional wrestlers are actually clients of mine. So uh, I named uh, her Nikki Bella, and um, she turned out to be a wonderful horse. Uh, the first start that we ever ran her was in Ohio Sires, and she ran second. Uh, Mike Wilder drove her. Then we uh, win the next week, the next start in Ohio Sires. And uh, unfortunately, she got hurt. And she never really kind of lived up to the promise that, that she had. But during that time, Tim Twaddle told me it was the fastest two-year-old he had ever sat behind. And, um, you know, when a trainer that has won the Breeders' Crown, the Jugette, trained for, you know, John Burns, Harold Chip, drove some of the best horses, won the Metro. I'm pretty sure Tim won the Metro, too, as a driver. When he tells you that this Ohio bred is the best horse, the fastest horse he's ever sat behind, you kind of take notice. Unfortunately, the rest of the racing world never really knew, good, knew how good Nikki Bella was. But, you know, I put that in the back of my mind, and then I got a call one day from one of my bloodstock agents, and he says, the damn Stipple Hanover of Nikki Bella is barren, and she's in the Delaware sale, and he said, I think she'll sell very cheap. Well, I never bred any horses. It was like, well, kicked it around. I says, maybe I'll try it. You know, what the heck? So um, 
getting back to the Sam Hill story, the guys that bred Sam Hill are Ben and Randy Wilt from uh, Missouri. Wonderful guys. They pretty much, anytime Sam Hill raced, they'd call me, and uh, we just developed a real friendship and bond. Well, I called them and said, I bought this mare, Stipple Hanover. Don't know nothing about the breeding business. Can I send her to you? And obviously those guys said, yeah. They looked at her pedigree and said, well, it's not a great pedigree, but, you know, we'll take her. And um, I bred her the first year to a McArdle. Uh, second year I bred her to Racing Hill. Then I bred her to Dream Away. And now she's back in full to Archchip. But basically three babies on the ground and one in the oven, and I've never even raced one yet. Uh, and then along came the first one, which is Charlie May. Charlie May was in the next generation at Scioto Downs on July the 4th with a purse of $150,000. How did Charlie May make it into the next generation? What was the plan? Yeah, so the uh, – um, when he was training down, Steve Carter is uh, he's he's kind of the trainer that, and this is the first course I ever had with Steve Carter too, which is was very interesting. He wasn't he just said he's a nice colt, he's doing everything right, and he, you know. And then finally he said, hey, we're going to qualify him. I says, oh okay. And I said, well, where do you think we're going to be? And he says, I don't know. And we were kind of making plans to race him at Circleville, um, the fair, the first first leg up after we qualified him. And uh, I'm very good friends with uh, a lot of the Ohio drivers. I consider myself a transplant because those guys are my friends, Ronnie Wren, Chris Page, uh, Danny Noble, Brett Miller, Aaron. So I just reached out to Chris. I said, you mind qualifying as Colt for me? He said, no problem. So he qualified him. And he called me after qualifiers, and he said, Don, you got a special one. So I don't – I mean, this is all brand new to me. I don't have a spot in the race. I have one two-year-old, and that's it. So I said, okay, and then uh, I came back the next week and qualified him, and I got Danny to qualify him, and uh, Danny told me the same thing. He says, you got a special one. So then I started scouring around and said, maybe I'll take a shot in this next generation. I, I really like the concept behind it, and I hope it catches on because I think it's a lot of fun, and, and it, 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 it makes it for uh, not only just paying stake payments early, but a way of paying your way into a race. It's a little bit of risk there, which I like. So. Fortunately, I hooked up with uh, that Blue Streak stable, um, Bill and uh, Mike Roth and those guys, and they were kind enough to sell me their spot at cost, and I told them if we did good, I'd have a Christmas card for them. And uh, fortunately, they're going to get a Christmas card with a little kicker for uh, um, taking care of me. But that's how I got my spot. I just got lucky. How did you feel going into the race? Did you think you were the best? Um. First off, this whole experience has been very humbling. Um, when you see Brian Brown, Ronnie Burke, and folks like that in the program against you, and you know how hard these guys work and what kind of powerful stable they have, uh, you, you, you're always respectful and, and you think you're doing good. But looking at just the program, I'm a handicapper like you. We we enjoy the races. His last quarters were very good, and I knew he was getting home real good. And, and Dustin and uh, at the barn um, – Steve's uh, main man and and Steve said you know he's he's special he gets over the ground good so I felt very confident I actually I, I you know we drew the seven hole Mike Roth reached out to me and said man tough draw and I said well I think he'll be okay because I wanted him to sit and finish up strong um, went a big first over move and and you know Danny said after the race he had a lot of horse left and uh, that made me feel good but I did go into it 
very confident. Um, I packed uh, my son up in the car, my wife, a bunch of friends, and I said, hey, we're going to drive up to Scioto. We're going to support racing, and we're going to watch it live and, and hope for the best. And uh, Great experience. I'm still pinching myself. Uh, a good friend of mine, Jimbo Magno, that owns a lot of horses with me uh, and has, you know, he said, you know, is it real, Don? I said, well, I keep pinching myself, and I keep saying, ouch. But it has to be, but it was a amazing experience, Roger. I went a lot of races, um, both in thoroughbreds and harness, and uh, that was a special day for me on July 4th. A winner, $75,000 in the very first event, the horse goes for a purse. And I made the statement that day that I feel nobody's disputed me yet the only horse in all of harness racing in the very first lifetime start to win $75,000. So theoretically, you're kind of on top of the world. But the one question I want to ask, because you say you got your start in Pennsylvania, living in Cannonsburg and your early uh, days in harness racing. How did you develop this love affair with the state of Ohio? Well, I, uh, I don't know how it happened, but I, I, I would tell you that uh, I'm, I'm an Ohioan, even though I live in Pennsylvania, especially when it comes to uh, racing and, and uh, sports and everything. Um, I just love the way – I love what they do in Ohio. And um, it's funny because I have three standard breads right now uh, in racing, and they're all Ohio breads. So if that doesn't tell you a story about me, there's not much else that can. Uh, I love the drivers over there. I think they have – the best driver colony. I think they, they've got really good people, good horsemen. And I've horses with Mike Conklin, fantastic guy. Um, you know, Brian Brown's a great guy. Tim Lane, a lot of guys over there that, that they're just, they're great folks. But, uh, and I like the, the, the program. I like the tracks. I like the fact that they have a great fair program. And uh, I just think that, that Ohio does it the right way. And, uh, you know, I've developed a lot of friends over there. I have a buddy of mine, uh, Rob Howard. He lives in Dublin, and uh, he goes to the races with me. Um, he's a big Ohio State guy. We go to Ohio State football games together. So uh, I'm a transplant. I'm definitely uh, I'm, I'm as close to an Ohioan, I guess, as you can be without living in a state. You know, you've had a very interesting, a, a, a great career already as far as an owner in harness racing. But everybody has a bucket list. And what is on your bucket list and the sport of harness racing? Nothing better than the jug. Uh, I love the jug. To win the jug would be the uh, greatest dream come true ever in my life. Uh, I've been going to it since uh, the – 87, Jaguar Spur. I went out there. I was fortunate enough to go out with Pat Thomas and the family and the Stillings, and, and I remember the buzz uh, that day, and uh, there's nothing like it. If, if you've never been to the Jug, you got to get there. It's the greatest time ever. The best race caller in the country is there calling races. You can see everything. You get a great seat, and uh, to win that race, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be the peak. That would be the, the, the pinnacle. Charlie May, is he eligible to the judge? That's a good question. I got to look and see. Um, if he's not, I'm gonna. Ha I'm pretty sure I could make a payment to it now. So uh, I'll, I'll have to see. I know there's different ways of getting in, but 
if 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 he, we keep going on this ride, and uh, it it sounds crazy, Roger, but after what he did in that next generation race, everything else from here is gravy because I accomplished something that I never thought I would. It was a homebred seventy-five thousand dollar pot. Um, it's all gravy from here. But if he happens to be good enough, uh, and I don't remember the last Ohio bred, I think it might have been BJ Scoot that won the jug. Um, I could be wrong. I'm not sure. That's you guys, your statisticians. But I'd love to be one of the next Ohio breds to win the jug. I think that'd be amazing. When only the best is good enough, horse owners look to Tizwiz Nutrition. Your horse is an individual with its own needs suitable for its lifestyle, whether it's racing or relaxing. For over 60 years, Tizwiz has strived for nutritional excellence, delivering products that make a difference. There is a nutritional reason for everything that is put into Tizwiz feed. Take your racing stable to another level with Tizwiz. See the complete line of Tizwiz feeds at tizwizfeeds.com. Tizwiz, feed the best, outperform the rest. Thank you for listening to Top of the Stretch. Top of the Stretch is presented by Tizwiz. Feed the best, outperform the rest. Top of the Stretch podcasts are a presentation of the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association.